0: Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that was a powerful message. If you didn't get a chance to listen to either of those, you can do that online uh, through our app, or you can check it out on Facebook if you'd like to watch it instead of listen to it. It's also on iTunes too. But uh, but all that is there. I would encourage you to listen to those. But here's what what the scenario is: is before Jesus went to the cross, he was in a garden called Gethsemane, or the Garden of Gethsemane, and he went there to pray because he knew what he was getting ready to face. He knew that he was going to be beaten, that he was going to be um, tortured, and what, what all he faced. He knew it to every part of its detail. And the Bible says that he went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and he was so tormented by what he was getting ready to face, and he was so stressed out about it, that as he prayed... He began to sweat drops of blood. Now, this is an actual condition called hematidrosis, where your blood capillaries burst and you, you sweat blood. And that's what happened with Jesus. He was under so much stress thinking about what it is he was getting ready to experience on the cross. Because, honestly, I think that we romanticize the cross, we, we make it very poetic. We like to hang crosses in our house. We wear them around our necks. We get them tattooed on our bodies. They are a symbol of comfort to us. But I promise you that during Jesus' time, there were anything but that. To be crucified on a cross was public humiliation. It was torture. You, it's as cursed as the man that hangs upon a tree. And that's True. That was not something of comfort to them. But we, we take it and we romanticize it and say, oh, Jesus, you know, that means so much to us. Of course, what he did on the cross was incredible. But what he endured was way more gory and gruesome than what we imagine as we look at a cross. See, Jesus was beaten, his beard pulled from his head. He was spit upon and mocked. And then he was beaten with a, with a cat of nine tails. It was a whip. And I talked about it a couple weeks ago, and I said something really gross, and I'm going to say it again today. It made his back look like ground hamburger. So if you would take that and put that on someone's back, that's what Jesus looked like. Oftentimes when they were beaten with a a cat of nine tails, it would expose their internal organs. And then a crown of thorns is shoved upon Jesus' head. He's punched and spat on and beaten some more. And then they took him to the center of town where he did a walk of shame to the hill of Golgotha where people threw insults at him and any object they wanted to, and they forced him to carry his own cross in the weakened state that he was in. And there they nailed him to that cross. And do you understand, it wasn't just a moment of pain. Jesus was on this cross for six hours as he hung there being tortured and tormented. Because see, as you hang there, the full weight of your body is only being held by the nails in your hands and your feet. And as you hang there, your body falls forward in this fashion, ultimately causing you to suffocate. And as you suffocate, the only relief you have is to push on the nails and lift yourself so that you can catch a breath and fall back down. This is the torture of the cross. And Jesus is seeing all this. And he's stressing about it in the garden. He knew what was to come. And as the creation is abusing the creator, Jesus becomes unrecognizable. He looks more like an animal than he does a man. And as man did his worst, God did his best. The first words that Jesus said as he hung on the cross were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Powerful. And this is where we pick up the story because after Jesus says that, it says later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. See, in Jesus' life, before he ever walked the earth, there were many prophecies that were made, not only about his life, but specifically his death. And Jesus knew that all of them up until that point had been fulfilled except one, that he would be served wine vinegar And so he says, knowing that everything's done, I'm thirsty. And this is that final prophecy as it comes to pass. It says, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said these powerful words. He said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now imagine this moment. Jesus, who came to do something specific, knows that in this moment, everything that was prophesied about him, everything that was said that would happen, has now happened. And he knows it's finished. The whole job is done. I don't have to hang here anymore. It's done. And he gives up his his spirit. And I don't know when he said the words, it is finished, if he kind of said it in a triumphant way, it's finished, with a loud voice, or if he whispered it, as if he could barely speak and that the wine vinegar finally soothed his parched lips and helped him speak as it lubricated his throat and he was finally able to say, it's finished. With a whisper, we have no idea but we know in that moment, it was done. He completed everything that God sent him to do. It was finished. And this phrase, it is finished, comes from a Greek word, tetelestai. Now your Bible's written in two languages. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the New Testament is written in Greek. And so this, this is one Greek word that means it is finished. And tetelestai means to end, complete, execute, or discharge a debt. That's what it means. And Jesus said, tetelestai, I did it. I completed it. The debt's been paid. I executed all you sent me to do. And he said all that with one word. Now, as we look at this word and we look at it all through scripture, it means a lot of different things or used in a lot of different scenarios. One of it was used by a servant returning back to the master and saying, tetelestai, I've finished the work you sent me to do. Or it would be a merchant declaring, tetelestai, The debt's paid in full. You don't owe me anything else. Or it was a priest who was looking at uh, an animal who was brought to be sacrificed. He would say, tetelestai, because there were certain rules and regulations on what kind of animals could be sacrificed to the condition in which they were in. And he would say, tetelestai, it's perfect. Jesus said this, tetelestai, it's finished. The debt's been paid, it's perfect. And from that moment on, history changed. God's work had been completed. Well, what did he finish? Well, so many different things. But there were hundreds of, of prophecies in the Old Testament about him, before, years before he was here, hundreds of years. And I'll give you a few of them. In Amos 8 9, it said that darkness would befall the land, and as he hung on the cross, it did. Isaiah 53 3, Jesus would be rejected, and he was. Psalm 41 9, that he would be betrayed, and he was, by Judas. Isaiah 52 14, that he would be beaten, and he was. Isaiah 56, that he would be spit on, and he was. Isaiah 53, 5, that he would be wounded and bruised for our transgressions, and he was. Psalm 22:7 7, that he would be mocked, he was. Zechariah 13, 7, that he would be forsaken by all of his friends, and he was. They all scattered when they took him in the garden. Isaiah 53, 12 said that he would pray for his persecutors, and he did. It also said that soldiers would cast lots for his clothing, and they did. It said that in Psalms 34 that not one of his bones would be broken, and they weren't. It says in Psalms 22 that he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did. Psalms 22:16 16, that his feet and his hands would be pierced, and they were. And then Psalms 69:12 that he would be given vinegar to drink, and they did. All of these prophecies about him, hundreds of years from the past, had happened. They were completed. It was finished. Well, what else was finished? Well, Satan's plan to destroy humanity was now thwarted. He was dethroned in a moment. See, he thought he could sway Jesus, but he couldn't. When Jesus was, was in the desert fasting for 40 days, he couldn't sway him. And so the devil said, since I can't sway him, I'm going to kill him. But we know how that story goes, right? Because Jesus died, but he rose again on the third day. So you can't bury truth It will rise again. So the devil was defeated. Sin was defeated. All of our sins and our debts paid so that we could be restored in relationship with God. Sin was done. The sacrifice was perfect. Jesus was the only one who could do it, He's the only one who lived perfect for us. He finished exactly what God sent Him to do. This is called the gospel, it's the good news. And while that's the best news for us to ever hear, I need you to know that just because Jesus finished his work does not mean that you've finished yours. Each and every single one of you, if you have breath in your body, you have unfinished business to take care of. You have things that God has assigned you to do. You have a purpose, and he has a plan for your life to use you to make a difference in somebody else's life. There is purpose for your life. We all have unfinished business. Now, when I think about this kind of stuff, unfinished business, it makes me a little mm, uncomfortable. I don't know about you. Maybe you're like me. See, when I have a to-do list, I like to write to-do lists, but then I like to check them all off. I like to make sure that it's done. Anybody else here like a completed to-do list? You're like me, a little OCD. See, I can't stand a a to-do list that doesn't have all the check marks in it, right? I got to have it done. It, It has to be done or I'm unsettled. As I was preparing for this message, I even went to my wife and I said, babe, I said, I'm talking about unfinished business this Sunday. I said, how do I have unfinished business? She said, although that's not you. She said, that's not you. You get stuff done. She said, that's me. She said, I'm the one who starts all the projects and doesn't finish them. In fact, if you've ever been to my house, we have this room just off to the right of the kitchen. Uh, It's where projects go to die at my house. Uh, It's just—it was an office. It was my home office, and now it's—I want to say it's her craft room, but there's just not much crafting that happens there. It's where the crafts go and they settle and collect dust. Uh, She's she's very creative. She starts lots of projects and she's done lots of cool things in our house. But but I just think she's easily distracted. I'm not sure by the next thing that Chip and Joanna Gaines are doing and things get shoved to the side. So, we, but that's not the unfinished business that I'm, I'm talking about, guys. I'm not talking about your to-do lists and the things that you need to get done around your house. No, I'm talking about God's business. What, what his assignments for your life are. We have unfinished business. In fact, it says in Revelation 3, and this is a letter to the church that Jesus is writing. And he's talking about their unfinished business. And look at what he hones in on. He says, I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. In other words, there's stuff that we gave you to do. There's stuff that you're meant to do. Oh, you're doing really well, but there's, there's unfinished business that you need to take care of. That's heavier than your to-do list. It's God's to-do list, and it's his list for us. All of us have unfinished business for one reason or another. For me, when I was 16, I knew that I was called to ministry. And I pursued that, man. I pursued it hardcore. I I served in youth ministry. I took every ministry opportunity that I had. I had a full-time job working 40 hours a week. And I was working 30-plus hours at a church every week. Because I I knew I was called to this and I didn't know how or when God was going to allow me to step into full-time ministry and do this this, and love on people full-time. I didn't know when that was gonna happen, so I kept at it and I pursued my calling. And somewhere along the way, I, I was offended and I walked away from God. I got myself entangled in a whole bunch of things that I didn't have to get myself entangled in. I wound up bitter and broken and addicted. And yet in that state, God reached out to me and said, son, you've got some unfinished business. And he redeemed me, set me free from that addiction, healed my heart from the bitterness and the pain that I had brought on myself, healed my marriage. Well, I was on my second marriage and it was headed for divorce. And God did all that. And then in the process, he placed me back on the path to serve in ministry. And here I am today. And you say, well, that's great, pastor. You got it all done. no. See, I still have unfinished business as a pastor. See, God's called me to the city of Reynoldsburg. Do you know how many people there are in this city? More than 37,000. That's a lot of people. And if you look around this room, or if you look around the churches in Reynoldsburg, there are not 37,000 of them reached. That means my business is unfinished. God's called me to some things that I gotta, I gotta finish. We all have unfinished business. You do too. What's your unfinished finished business? Maybe it's to return to a relationship with God, like mine. Maybe maybe it's something like fostering a, or, or adopting a kid. Maybe God has led you to do that, and you've just done nothing about it. Maybe it's to start a business itself. He's given you a business idea, and you've just sat on it. It's a dream He's put in your heart. Maybe your unfinished business is unforgiveness. You're holding that in your heart towards somebody. Maybe your unfinished business is getting out of debt something you started God put in your heart and said hey you need to deal with this or maybe it's simply to share Jesus with somebody that's far from God or apologizing to someone you know you've offended them or hurt them or maybe it's it's the simple things that we do around here getting involved and taking going through growth track or 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 getting involved in a grow group you know getting getting to know some people here or even joining the dream team and serving others what's your unfinished business and I would challenge you this morning. You're like, dear God, it's early in the message and he's already challenging me. But I would challenge you this morning. Whatever your unfinished business is, write it down. Because today I want you to consider and listen to the, to the spirit of the Lord as I, as I ask you to search your heart about finishing that unfinished business. Why? Because every day you're alive, you have the opportunity to take one step closer to finishing God's assignment for your life. And I know that we all wanna finish well just like Jesus did. But I think our problem is is we live in a culture where we start a whole lot of things, but we don't finish well. And so in order for us to finish well, we have to make a commitment. We, We have to make a commitment. You say, all right, Aaron, I've made a commitment in my life. I've made a commitment to some things and I'm good. Have you? Have you really made a commitment? Because I think, I think we have got a very different sense of what the word commitment means than what God does. Because when you look in, in the Bible, look at what Paul says. Now finish the work. That's that finished business. Finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it, that's that heart that says, yeah, I'm going to do this. Woohoo! That eager willingness is matched by your completion of it. See, a lot of us are eager. We're eagerly willing to do something. And we, we mistake talking about something as being the same as doing it. We talk about all kinds of stuff. And we are willing and eager to do it, but that's not commitment. You would say, but I've made a commitment, Aaron. I've made a commitment to lose weight. And yet you've got double stuffed Oreos hanging out in your pantry. That's not commitment. Oh, did I just come into your house and see you? I apologize. You say, Aaron, I'm going to have the greatest year of my life spiritually, and yet you won't make time to read your Bible or, or spend some time in prayer. You say, Aaron, I'm, I'm going to see my marriage restored, and yet you refuse to go to counseling, take that opportunity to work through the issues. You say, I'm, I'm going to be free from pornography or any kind of addiction, and yet you won't take the steps to close those access points and to confess because that's uncomfortable. See, say, I want to be in relationships. I'm tired of being alone, and I'm tired of complaining about it. And yet, when grow groups come up, you don't sign up for a group so that you can be known and know others. You say, I I desire to be fulfilled and know joy, and yet you won't discover why you're here and, and serve on a team. You say, I want God's blessing in my life, but you won't do things his way. See, it isn't commitment until you change and complete what the eager willingness was all about. That's that's just it. We like talking about commitment, but we don't like the change that comes along with it. In 1519, Hernando Cortez was commissioned by Spain to sail with 11 ships and 1,500 sailors to find new land and expand Spain's territory and to find treasure. There was a whole bunch of guys, 1,500 of them, that got on this ship with eager willingness to go because they were going to find treasure, they were going to find fame, and they went with Cortez. but when they landed... On the, on the new area, or the, the, the new land. They got off the ships, and they were met by savages. And they wanted to kill all of Cortez's men in the most savage of ways. And so the men lost their eager willingness. They began to complain and say, let's go back home, because I like my head right where it is on my shoulders. I don't want to die and when Cortez heard this, he went and told his men to burn the ships. Burn the ships so that there was no way back. That's commitment. That's committing to a cause. That's committing to what they had set out to do. Commitment is taking your desire to do something. It's drawing a line in the sand, stepping across it, and not turning back. That's what commitment is. And that's how we finish strong. Strong. We make a commitment with that kind of resolve. This is what we see from Jesus. I told you in the story of the crucifixion that Jesus was found in the garden first and that's where he was praying. And Jesus was being tortured or tormented internally because he knew what he was about to face. And Jesus prayed this prayer that many of us have read before, but we kind of read through it really fast. And we read it and understand as if Jesus said it at the speed at which we read it. Let me show you. We say, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. I don't believe this is how Jesus prayed this prayer. See, I've prayed these kind of prayers before. And I hear what Jesus was saying. Hey, Dad. Hey. I'm pretty sure that you could do this another way. I'm pretty sure that I don't need to go to the cross and suffer all this. Hey, Dad, if there's another way that we hadn't thought of, could we push pause on this whole getting beat thing? Because I'd sure like to keep my back intact. Hey, Dad, all these people that have been following me, you understand that when I go to the cross, they're going to scatter. They're going to be confused, and they're going to be wrecked about what they've been doing with the last three years of their lives. Hey, Dad, I love these guys. I don't want that to happen to them. Hey, Dad, if there's any other way, could you do it? And Then there's a semicolon in that sentence. And for me, I feel like there was a long exhale. (sighs) Yet not my will, but yours be done. See, to me, this is where Jesus died. Oh, he physically died on the cross, but this is the moment where he died to himself. This is the moment where he made a commitment. The Bible says he prayed this prayer three times. He was that serious about it. And he made a commitment, he drew a line in the sand, said, I'm in, I'm not going back. And if we're going to finish strong, we need to make a commitment like Jesus did. And after making a commitment with great resolve, we need to take the next step. And then we take another step. And then we take another step, and another step, and another step. See, the thing is, is the thing that separates you from where you are now, and where God's called you to be, is steps. It's one right after the other, that you take, and unfortunately, religion and church and pastors have told you that God's seeking perfection in your steps, that's simply not true. God's seeking progress, not perfection. He wants you to take steps. He knows that just like a baby, when you take steps, you're gonna falter and you're gonna fall down, you're gonna bump your head, you're gonna hurt yourself, you're gonna break some stuff in the process, but he's just looking for you to take steps. Take steps. Some of you are so overwhelmed by what it is that God's put in your heart to do because you're looking at the big thing instead of just looking at the next step. It's like eating an elephant. Do you know how you do that? One bite at a time. Whatever your unfinished business is, take a step. Just take a step. That's why in our growth track we, taught we look at it in steps. What's God's best for you? What is his plan for your life? There's four easy steps to understanding it. We make those four easy steps. First, second, third, fourth Sunday of the month. Every month. So that you can take them. We make it easy. We watch your kids. We want you to be able to take those steps to understanding God's plan for your life. It's important that you do. We consider it in steps. We do that to make it easy. I have conversations with people all the time, and they say, Aaron, but you don't understand. I feel intimidated because I'm in in church and I'm in relationship with other people, and there's so much further in their relationship than I am with God. And and it's intimidating to be in relationship with them, it's intimidating to tell them where I'm at. But I look at them and say, You know the difference between them and you? It's steps, it's just steps. Take the steps. We weren't born perfect. We didn't come out of the womb having everything we needed to follow Jesus. It just takes steps. In fact, I would tell you, God doesn't call the equipped, those that are ready for it. He equips those that are called. And each of us has a calling in our life. And whether you feel ready for it or not, just take steps. Just take steps of obedience. Take steps of faith. Take steps towards him. Take steps towards your health. Take steps away from bad relationships. Take steps out of addiction. Do you know that when when you go through Alcoholics Anonymous, do you know how they they talk or walk people through getting freedom from addiction? Steps. It's steps. The Bible in in Galatians 5.25, it says, since we live by the Spirit, like when you say yes to Jesus, God fills you with his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is given to you to lead you. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in yeah, keep in step with the Spirit. It's all about steps, guys. Just take steps. It's also why the Bible says in Psalms 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. If you've ever held a lantern, like an actual lantern, I know many of us use flashlights nowadays, but if you've ever used a lantern, which is what God's word is, is compared to, Lantern doesn't give you a whole lot of light. What it does is it lights up your next step. And as you take that next step, you're suddenly able to see the next step. You don't get to see far down the road. God will show you consistently your next step. He always provides guidance for that. It's amazing to me as I look back on my story. I didn't realize it then, but I know it now. The Holy Spirit was taking me steps. See, I came to the Lord and I drew a line in the sand and I said, God, I'm addicted to pornography. I need to get out of this. I need your help because back, back then, they didn't talk about it a whole lot. Pastors didn't talk about it. There weren't a whole lot of resources and I said, you're gonna have to help me. And so he gave me steps to take. I said, do this because he was looking for progress, not perfection. Draw the line in the sand, make the commitment. I did. Take the next step. Confess and get honest with somebody. I did. Get accountability for how you were accessing and seeing those images. I did. Close the gateways that can't be guarded and guard the ones that can be. I did. And through that, f- that phase of the Holy Spirit taking me on that step, I learned a phrase that I continue to say today. Some can, I can't. There's some movies my friends can see, I can't. There's some TV shows my friends can watch, I can't. I learned that on one of my steps. I learned to forgive myself. That was one of my steps. I learned to be bold and tell my story. Many, I've heard pastors tell me, don't tell that story. Don't don't tell that story. That's going to make you seem weak to your people. And I said, I'm telling my story. I think people are inspired by your strengths, but they connect through your weakness. And I'm sorry. They say that 70% of men in the world and in the church are are currently addicted or and or using pornography once a month, I'm not going to be silent about that. So I share my story. And every time I do, God heals me a little more. I tell it, and I help others with each step. God heals, and he does a new thing in me. It's incredible. It's incredible. I never thought I would be where I am today, when I was standing there completely addicted. And yet, I stand here free. I took steps. Progress, not perfection. Doing it God's way. So my question for you is, what's your next step? What is your next step? I'm not asking you the whole thing. I'm not asking you what it is God's given you to do. What's your next step? Is your next step writing a letter to someone? Is your next step cutting up your credit cards? Is your next step filling out that application or printing off that resume and turning it in somewhere? What's your next step? Is it that phone call to forgive that person? Is it to share your dream that God's put in your heart with a close friend? Is it to write the business plan? Is it to uh, get baptized? Is it to surrender your life to Christ? Which if that's what you need to do, I'll give you opportunities at the end of this service today. If you have no idea why you're here, what God's called you to do and what your purpose is, then I'm gonna tell you your next step is growth track. It's easy. Identify your unfinished business and then take the next step towards it. You know, this time of year, we talk a lot about the crucifixion. We talk a lot about what Jesus endured and when you think about it, truly think about it, about what happened to Jesus. It's overwhelming. Even the journey of him from the center of, of the city up the hill of Golgotha had to be grueling. And yet we find Jesus beaten, his back shredded, his body weakened, his image transformed horribly. In the center of town, he had to take a step. And as he took that step towards Golgotha, he did so in hope that one day someone would receive his love that as a result of receiving his love, they would find forgiveness and a restored relationship with God. And then they took that beam and they put it on his back and they forced him to carry it and he took another step and he did so knowing that carrying that burden would someday free so many of their own burdens and the weights that they carried. They took another step and another one and another one until he reached the top of that hill. And where he took his last step to lay himself down on that cross. And he did so just so that you would know how much he loved you. There's a saying that says, how much did Jesus love you? And they say this much. Because this is his final position where he was nailed to the cross. He took steps and he finished well. He completed the work that God called him to do, and I know for us that are still alive today, we know that we have a purpose here on this earth, and that all we need to do is take steps to follow it, take steps to finish it, and I need you to be encouraged today about what God's word has to say for us as we take steps to do it, that we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you We'll carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. See, the thing is, as we take steps, God adds his power towards what we're doing, to the work that we need to finish. God adds his power, his strength to it. As you take steps, God will help you complete them. So I kind of close, as I close today, I got a story I want to share with you. It's from 1968 um, Olympics that were held in Mexico City and uh, there was a runner, John Stephen Aquari. He was from Tanzania, and he was running a marathon, which is 26.2 miles. And, uh, and he had hopes for gold. Unfortunately for John, when he started the race, he fell. And when he fell, he hurt his knee badly. He dislocated it, and there was a huge gash on his knee. And his hopes for gold were shattered. And yet John bandaged his knee and he got up and he continued his race. He was so far behind that when he reached the halfway point, there was no opportunity for him to beat anyone. They were all so far ahead of him. In fact, as John came running into the arena, everybody who was ahead of him had finished more than an hour before him. The crowd had almost dissipated. There were very few people there. And John came in running, limping, with his knee bloodied and pain with every step. John finished a race that no one else would have finished. Everyone else would have quit it, and see that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna finish our race. We're gonna do it well, because we all have unfinished business. In an interview after the race, they asked John, they said, John, why did you finish this race when so many others would have given up? Why did you keep going? And John said, well, my country did not fly me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me here to finish one. And that's what God sent us to do. He didn't put us here to start a race. He put us here to finish one. So my challenge to you today is to commit, to take a step and to finish what it is that God has given you to do. This very thing has to consume us, to consume our thoughts in the same way that it consumed Paul's. Check out how his calling consumed him. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Finish your race. If you're still alive today with breath in your body, you're not finished yet. Commit, take the next step. Keep in step with the spirit and follow his lead. And someday you will stand before God and you'll say, Tedelestai, it is finished. And in response, God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father today I just I just pray that you would reveal and speak to each and every single one of us about what our unfinished business is. For many of us we know what it is, and it scares us. It's overwhelming to us. So in this moment, God, I just pray that you would give us a boldness. A boldness that has come along that comes along with our eager willingness to draw a line in the sand. I take a step across it, make that commitment, say never again, I'll never go back, I'm gonna move forward. And God, as we do, I pray that you would reveal to us what our next steps are, the ways that we can be obedient, and finish well. And as we take those steps, God, I ask, because I know that you're faithful and that you'll do this, that you would give us everything we need at each step. May we find your favor, may we find your grace, because. We'll falter in each of our steps. We're not going to do it perfectly. But may we accept your love. Receive your grace to continue. Because God, we know you're looking for progress, not perfection. Help us to take those next steps. And finish the work that you called us to do in Jesus' name. As we continue praying, Christians, continue to pray. In this moment, if you're here today, you're, you're sensing... A moment where you know what your next step is. Your next step is simply for you to know God. In order for you to do that, you just have to receive what Jesus did for you on the cross. Say, I, I'm ready. I, I need forgiveness in my life. I, I I need Jesus. Jesus paid that price for you. And in paying that price, when you say, Jesus, I receive that gift. I want you to be. Lord of my life, in other words, you tell me how to live and I'll I'll serve you. When you do that, God makes all things brand new in your life. The relationship that God intended for you to have is restored. So right now, if that's your next step to know God and you're ready to do that, I'm gonna pray a prayer in a moment. And if that's you and you wanna take that step, don't worry, I'm not gonna have you stand or come to the front, just right where you're at. Would you just let me know that that's you? Because nobody's looking around in this moment except me. Just say, Aaron, that's me. Would you just kind of lift your hand and say, that's me, Aaron. I'm going to take that step today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being bold. Thank you. Anybody else? That's awesome. Thanks. You can put your hands down. Church, let's pray together. Let's pray out loud. And those of you that are praying this prayer, just mean this from your heart. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. Today I ask you to forgive me to make me brand new. I've got unfinished business. Show me what that is. Thank you, Jesus, amen.